would uh, like to borrow a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible so you can follow along with us uh, this morning. Just feel free to raise your hand when you're done. You can just put it in the pew after you. I don't know if you've noticed, but many of our women are gone today on a women's retreat. And so it's good to see some of you men stepping up and watching the kids. I have cheated and brought in some reinforcements of the grandparents, and so I appreciate them. They've been helping me over the weekend. What a blessing that's been. We're in the book of Matthew. We're going through Matthew, and currently we're in Matthew 19, and I'm telling you, be significant what Jesus says today to you. And I just want you to know that I, I, I care about your hearts and I love you. I don't know most of you, but I, I just want to have, a, I have an affection for you this morning. And Jesus' love for you is great. And he, he really wants your heart. And it's going to be really significant this morning. So let's, let's all stand. We're in Matthew 19. We're going to start in verse 16. I'm going to read a very familiar story to you. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The many who are first will be last and the last first. You may be seated. The rich young man seemed to be doing pretty good, at least according to himself. But Jesus gets at his heart, and he points out that one thing that gripped him. There was one idol, and there was one God that owned his heart. 
and it was the idol and god of money. And it owned his heart so much, he was refusing to part with it to follow Jesus and have eternal life. I think it is very important for every single person in here to understand who or what owns you. What is your ruling idol? Who is your ruling Lord? Is it, is it Jesus or is it someone or something else? This is, this is like the question to answer in your life. It's so significant that we're going to carry this question over this week into our ethos communities. Those are kind of like our small groups in our church. We're going to carry that question over this week as we kind of dive deeper. Like, who owns us? Who rules us? Let me put up there that what we're going to talk about this week is, uh, comes from our curriculum, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Here's, here's a quote. It says, our hearts are always ruled by someone or something. It's either the Lord Jesus or someone or something else. And so the big question to ask is this. We're going to ask it this morning is, what really rules my heart? If Jesus was to point to just one thing in your life, just one issue that has a grip on you, what would it be? What is that one idol that owns you? And, you know, this idol may own you so much that you really, you're not, you're not a Christian. You love this idol and this false god so much, you don't want to part with it to follow Christ. And it's keeping you from Christ. I don't know what it is. Maybe for some of you, you're like this rich young man. It's, it's money. It's possessions. You love them. You don't want Jesus. You want, you want the idol of money. For some of you, it's, it's sexual morality. Others, it's, it's comfort. In fact, there are some of you who are not coming to Jesus because of religion. Like just your tradition. Man-made religion. You're not, you're not wanting to part with it and follow Christ. Some of you, it's, it's comfort. You have the comfort idol. And some of you even have the idol of work and family. You're like, work and family? We've got to do those things. See, work and family are good things that turn into idols when we elevate them above the Lord Jesus. And they have an inappropriate place. And we can set them up in our hearts. There's so many idols. We could be here all day talking about the idols of our hearts that we set up in the place of Jesus Christ and we give ruling power and mastery over our lives. Even for those of you who are Christians, where you've repented of your sins, you've repented of your idols, you're following Christ, somehow, some way, this is what happens to us as Christians. Idols creep back in. And they set themselves up back as ruling masters. So wherever you're at today, Jesus says, the idol's got to go. Got to get rid of it. We got to move on. Jesus must be the ruling Lord once again in your life. The idols have got to go. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, that is impossible. Some of you have been struggling with things for years, even right now. And you're thinking, I'm going to listen to the sermon, but there's no way this idol is going to go. It's impossible. And let me just say, I agree with you. On the human point of view, human standpoint, it's impossible to dislodge ruling idols. Impossible. They have too, long, too strong of a grip on you. But as we saw in our text, with God, all things are possible. Let's jump in. Proceed through the story today with in mind this concept of ruling idols, and God can displace them. Verse 16. 
And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This man is rich, he's young, and he's some type of ruler. Let's see, who's rich in here? Who's young in here? Who's got some authority in here? You're thinking, well, I, I, I certainly don't. Well, you probably will in the future. And compared to the rest of the world, you, you're, you're pretty rich, right? You're like, well, I got $100,000 school debt. I understand. But you're going to make that up, right? And you're going to be falling into this category of pretty well off, doing pretty good. And so this rich man comes up to Jesus, and he asks the most important question you can ask. He wants to know about eternal life. What good does he have to do to get into heaven? What does he have to do to be saved? What good deed can he pull off to get in? Good question. But look what Jesus says. Verse 17. And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Oh, I like that. So for starters, only one who's good. Who's that? Only God is good. Only he is perfect. Only he is holy. He's the only one who is truly good. See, the man is focusing on what good he can do to get into heaven. Jesus says, no, no, only God is good. In fact, what does the Bible say about humans that, that were, were not good? Uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 12 says, no one does good, not even one. If you've grown up in a Bible church, you know that we are fallen sinners. We're not at the core, good people, regardless of what Disney movies say. At the core, we're not good. But Jesus switches the focus, puts it upon God, who alone is good. The man doesn't see the depth of his sin, so Jesus puts him the focus on the holiness of God. But then it's interesting. Jesus says, if you would enter life, verse 17, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. So he's going to kind of do this spiritual diagnostic tool. There's this pastor, Legan Duncan, who says, Jesus is just diagnosing his heart with this, this spiritual diagnostic tool called the law. He's going to show them by bringing up the law that he has not kept the law and at the core is a sinner. Watch what he does. He says, keep the commandments. The young man said to him, um, then verse 18, he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, no, don't murder, no, no adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man's like, great, I've done it all. No one from this church better ever say that, all right? Just for the right, if you ever say that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come after you. Don't ever say that. But he says, I've kept them all. I've kept them all. And, but, he, but he says, but what do I still lack? Oh, wonder why he says that. Well, you see, Jesus just gave him the typical Sunday school answer. Jesus just gave him the typical churchy answer. Like if you went up to any rabbi of that day and said, hey, rabbi, what do I got to do to get into heaven? And he, Jesus, well, he just gave the typical answer. Just love your neighbor as yourself and, and keep the commandments. And so the man knows that Jesus is kind of playing him. He's got to know that because he's like, Jesus, you're not like the other rabbis. I know there's something else. There's something that's still lacking. And then Jesus go right, he goes right at his heart. Someone has said, Jesus is like the man who sticks out his hand. He acts like he's going to shake your hand. And when you stick out your hand, he punches you in the gut. 
That's what he does right here. He's, he can't, how you doing? Boom. That's what he does to the man right here. So he, verse 21, look at the punch in the gut. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So, so what was the man lacking? The man needed to exchange gods. He needed to exchange gods. He's worshiping the money God, and you cannot worship the money God and Jesus at the same time. Don't you remember the, the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, let's put that up, Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. His God was money. Violation of what commandment? First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. He violates that one. He's violating the rest. His God was his money, and his God had to go. This man had violated the law at the core. He needed to repent and get rid of his money idol. And guess what? This idol had, had, was lodged so deep in his heart, this man had to get rid of all of his money. I mean, Jesus didn't say this to everybody, did he? Remember, remember Zacchaeus, the cheat, the, the greedy man, the, the guy who ripped people off. Well, Zacchaeus dealt with half. But Jesus sees the idol is all the way in this man's heart, and he says, it all has to go. And it's not like I'm going to go sell my goods, uh, on, on, just, just sell them, but you need to sell it and you need to give to the poor. You know why you need to give to the poor? Because, dude, you've not been loving your neighbor. You may be this rich man who gives a little bit to the poor on the side, and you feel all proud that you're giving great. Jesus is all got to go and give to the poor. Your repentance needs to be so deep. And then he says, come, follow me. Repent so much where you sell it all, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And I'm thinking that some of you may be so gripped by the money idol that there has to be drastic repentance today. I mean, how can you tell? If, if, if the God of money has your heart, how can you tell? I mean, even if you don't have any money, this God can be ruling in your life. There's a book by Timothy Keller called Counterfeit Gods, and one of the issues he deals with is, is the God of money. And one of the ways you can tell if the God of money is, money is ruling, ruling in your heart, he, he says this. You can tell if you have a problem giving away large amounts. Like when you see a need, does, and there's a call for large amounts to be given, does that like freak you out? What about when you have to live on less than what you have? During these tough economic times, you see you have to cut back, does that totally rock your world? Or when you see others doing better than you, does that make you covet and want their lives? Or does your heart and your joy go up with the stock market and crash when it goes down? Maybe there's a God of money ruling your heart. And Jesus says, it's got to go. 
Because you know money by itself is, is not an evil thing. It's your heart's love for it. It's your passion for it where you want to consume more and more. This God of money may have such a tight grip on you. And for some of you, the grip is so tight that your repentance will mean that you get rid of it all and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. Could you imagine if we stay here this morning and say that this doesn't apply to anybody? What kind of, what kind of people are we? For some of you, this will absolutely apply. You need to repent by selling it all and giving it to the poor and following Jesus. And I don't know who that is for you, and, and, and you want me to be your conscience for you. I'm not going to be your conscience. I would encourage you to be in community, be in your ethos community, talk to them about it, and say, look, this has such a grip. What do I need to do? What would repentance look like in my life? I, I knew somebody who did this, sold it all. Very, very rich man. Sold it all to follow Jesus. What would repentance look like in your life? to put money in its proper place with the ruling of Jesus Christ up here. And you you may think, man, this is too crazy. This church is just too drastic. Jesus is too extreme. But I believe he's calling all of us, whatever our idols are, to kick them out and to follow them. And that means something drastic. It does mean something extreme. It means turning away from this world and following and being left with Jesus alone. The picture that I've been pondering this week that represents this is something called free soloing. I've been so fascinated by free soloing this week. It's, it's, it's a, a mountain climbing concept where you climb mountains with nothing. Nothing. You just you start going up. Now, I'm not talking about hiking. I'm talking about climbing. Let me put a picture up. This guy, I don't know if you can see the picture over here. This guy's the best in the world. He has nothing. And that's little trees down there. Big trees, actually. He's the best, one of the best in the world. He climbs just totally crazy mountains, and he has nothing. And you want to ask the question, what happens if he falls? He dies. Like, there's no room for error. Anybody do this in here, by the way? Anybody do this? I'm not talking about hiking. I'm talking about you're going to die. Okay. All right, so not many of you do it. None of you. All right. But this is called free soloing. And so and I, I really wonder, if I was up there, I would not be doing the free soloing, but I would have ropes all over me. I'd have a parachute on my back and I would have some nets underneath me. But, but I really believe this is the picture that Jesus wants. I really believe that he wants us to, to follow him with, with just totally him. No ropes of idols, no parachutes of false gods. And he wants God to be the net where when we follow him, it's just us and him. No other gods. Totally going all out. Abandoning all and saying, you are worth it, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Here we go. That's the picture. You're thinking, yeah, but that sounds impossible. Well, let, let's, let's move in. We'll get to that in a second. Look at verse 22. When the man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He's rich. He didn't want to give it up. He did not want to make this great exchange. Jesus said, look, you can get rid of your possessions, and I'll give you eternal possessions. 
you can get rid of this eternal death where you're headed to hell, and you can have eternal life in heaven. I mean, Jesus offered him this wonderful, great exchange. Give up earthly possessions for eternal rewards, eternal life in him and his finished work on the cross. A wonderful exchange. But get this. Did you know it is so easy to exchange the true God for idols? But it's very, very difficult to go the other direction. Let me explain. Book of Romans, chapter 1, explains who we are at the core. Romans, chapter 1, talks about this great exchange that we've all done God for idols. Romans 1, 22 and 23 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Talking about all of us. And exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Which is basically saying, we do this quick exchange of the true God for idols. Think about how quick you can fall into sin. Right? It's bam, just like that. But how about going the other direction? From idols back to the true God. That's difficult, right? You know what Jesus is going to say? It's impossible. From a human point of view, to go from idols back to the true God, impossible. And so if you're feeling hopeless right now because you're you're having a hard time moving from your idols back to the true God and it feels impossible, Jesus would say, I agree with you. He's going to get there. He's going to get there. Let's finish up about the rich man. Verse 23. Look what it says. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what you've been taught on the eye of the needle in the past. It's not some gate in Jerusalem. Uh, I know there's a lot of children in here or some big kids, so I want to give you a little picture of what this, this, this is. Can we put this picture up? This will maybe help you. All right. Eye of the needle, camel. He's not going to make it through. He can't do it. Impossible. It looks like he's got his head through it somehow on his foot. But he's not going to make it through the eye of the needle. It's impossible. Here's the connection. Same thing for a rich person. Not going to get into heaven. Impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not, he can't pull it off. It's impossibility. And so the disciples, they pick up on this and they're, they're a little bit shocked. Look at verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Great question. Because in the disciples' mind, rich people are blessed by God. Why are they blessed? Because they're rich. God must favor them. And if rich people can't get in, then where's the hope for any of us? Jesus picks up on this. Look what he says. Verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. From a human point of view, a rich person is not going to turn from their wealth and follow Jesus. And Jesus broadens it out to everybody. From a human point of view, you're not going to abandon your idol and follow Jesus. It's an impossibility. We get so locked in to our idols, we do not want to pull away and follow God. But with God, all things are possible. And you know what that means? 
is talking about God's grace can so work on the heart of someone where he can change them. Where they thought they could never change, God can change the heart of hard sinners and break it. And his grace can do such a work where we can repent of our idols and put our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and abandon all and follow him. And the way that can happen is a supernatural act of God upon the heart of a sinner. And only God can pull it off. And that's the supernatural revelation of God that we're seeing here. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And you think, well, I'm a human, so what am I supposed to do? Just kind of wait around and say, okay, God, it's not possible with me. It's possible with you. Take the idol away. I mean, what are we supposed to do? I just think we simply come in our poverty of spirit and say, I am poor. I am wretched. I am broke. I have no resources to bring to you. God, change my heart. Change me. And then by God's grace, we start turning away from the idols and turning to God. Throughout history, God has worked in different people. And they've turned away from different things. I have met people that have turned away from the idol of sexual morality, and they thought they would never turn away from it. They thought it had such a grip, and that by God's grace, they repented and followed Jesus. Now, when we think about the topic of sexual immorality and the, and the grip that an, that idol can have, we think it's just kind of a, a modern phenomenon that's just happening in our time, in our generation. But it's interesting to read about some of the, the Christians in the past who were in the same grip. You're, you're thinking, man, you're in the 4th century, 5th century. How could you have issues with that? There was no Internet, you know? How, how are you having issues with immorality? Internet or no Internet, that's, that's been an issue throughout time. But there was once this guy, and his name was Augustine. Perhaps you heard of him, St. Augustine, great, great theologian. Before he was converted, he had this issue with sexual morality. He had a lot of mistresses. And he was faced with the decision, am I going to keep following my mistresses or am I going to follow Jesus Christ? And he pondered the concept, can I live without them? And this is what he said. The very toys of toys... And vanities and vanities, my ancient mistresses still held me. They plucked my fleshly garment and whispered softly, Will you cast us off forever? And from that moment, shall we no longer be with you forever? I hesitated to burst and shake myself free from them, for a violent habit said to me, Do you really think? You can live without them? That is the grip of idolatry. Do you really think you can live without your idol? And for Augustine, God's grace was so working in his heart, and he was broken, and he left his idols behind and followed Jesus. And I want to give you hope. The same can happen for you today. You can repent, be broken, and follow Jesus by a work of God's grace on your heart. And this should give you hope for those of you who are, maybe um, you have people in your lives who are not Christians, and you've been praying for them for years. They worship money, sex, power, whatever. This should give you hope that with man it's impossible. But keep praying with God and his work on their hearts. All things are possible. The great exchange can happen. Idols for the one true God. 
Let's finish up here and investigate this great exchange a little bit more. Look at verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? I don't want to get sarcastic with Peter, but it's like, dude, you left your boat, maybe a house. Okay, let's not be too impressed with Peter. The rich man didn't want to give up all his stuff. But so Peter says, we left it all, follow him. What's our reward? Verse 28. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Huh. So the disciples said, we abandoned all this stuff. And Jesus says, that's good. Later on in the new world, maybe that's the new heavens and the new earth, perhaps Jesus' thousand-year millennium reign on this earth. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But he says, in the future, you're going to have authority to sit on thrones and reign with me and, and judge. So you may be giving up this power here on earth, but there's going to be future power for you when you reign with me. And this is not just for the disciples. It speaks in the Bible about all believers reigning and ruling with Christ. Can you imagine that? One day you will reign with Jesus Christ. The most powerful one in the universe and of all time, you will reign with him. If you are a believer, you will reign. You will have so much power and authority in Christ. No matter what you've abandoned here for power and authority, you will gain as you're reigning with Christ. This is so, so important. I, th- I believe this idea can help you dislodge, kick out, by God's grace, power idols. Some of you have power issues, control issues, idols of power that you have set up in your life. Here's kind of a good definition from Timothy Keller on the power idol. Let me put this up for you. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. This is where you feel like you have purpose if you have power. This is kind of where leadership crosses the line. I know a lot of you are leaders. You're trying to be a a godly leader. You want to lead for the glory of God. But this leadership can cross the line so subtly into this power idol where you do it because you want to be affirmed by your earthly power and authority that you have over others. And, And you may think, oh, I get it. You mean like climbing up the corporate ladder, like we got this job, and then we got to kind of push people to the side so we can move to the next level. Then we got to knock people out so we can climb the next level so we get more and more power. Most of you, that's not your reality. Most of you are not at the point where you're climbing the corporate ladder, so you don't have that power idol operating in your life. Uh, but it helped me to think more narrow this week. Uh, somebody helped me think about your area of expertise. Many of you are in school right now. You are graduate students, undergrad or you're in business school, and or even if you're graduating, most of you have an area of expertise where you are, are honing in on one certain area. And I'm just wondering, are you doing that because you want to be unstoppable? You just want to be unstoppable. You want to have such respect from your peers and a power and authority over others. So rather than pursue your education and crank out your hours, boy, you crank the hours out for the glory of God, 
you're cranking out the hours in your studies because you want to be unstoppable. Because you want to have authority and power over others. And Jesus is saying, forsake that idol. If you're going to work hard, work hard for the glory of God and trust him with whatever positions he puts you in, but you've got to forsake the power idol. You've got to repent of that. Push that aside and follow Christ. And whatever you give up on this earth, know this, you will one day reign with Christ. This life is so short. It's not worth pursuing the hour of that power that you find in idolatry and the power idol because in the future you will reign with Christ. So make that exchange now. Exchange the idol for the one true God. Jesus continues about this reward. Verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life the many who are first will be last and the last first. We're going to get to this first, last business, vice versa, ne- next section, next week. But if you abandon your idol today, if you decide today you're going to repent by God's grace, you're going to throw the idol aside, and you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus says you will be paid back a hundredfold. And you look at this, you go, yeah, but I don't understand this. What does it mean about leaving your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad? What's up with that? That, that sound kind of odd in our context? But for many believers around the world, this is real. You convert, your family's done with you. You're done. They're kicking you out. You're not going to see them ever again. They will disown you. They won't even speak of you. And you'll be in that context, and you'll be like, I have to make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or my family? And once you convert and follow Christ, boom, you're done. But what do you gain back? Well, according to the Bible, you gain brothers and sisters, spiritual moms, spiritual fathers, and the Christian family while you're here on this earth, and that will be your family for eternity, hundredfold. And even some of you, like this rich man, what would have happened if he bailed on all his riches, gave them to the poor? What would he get? Well, do you remember the book of Acts? What happens in the book of Acts? Do you think this rich man wouldn't be taken care of? No, the book of Acts talks about believers. What were they doing? sharing their possessions, taking care of one another, and think about the treasures in heaven he would have eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is real today. This is real today where you will forego idols because you are looking for another reward in Jesus Christ. This is definitely true for you singles who are, who are on the dating scene or you would like to be on the dating scene. Maybe you don't even know there's a dating scene, but you want to date eventually. And for some of you singles, you've had some opportunities to date some pretty impressive people. But they had one little issue. They didn't follow Jesus. And rather than date someone who doesn't follow Jesus, you said, no, I'm sorry, I can't date you because, you know, you don't love my Lord. I wish you did, but you don't. So I'm sorry, we're not compatible. It's just not going to work. And you said, okay. You set that aside. But in your moments when you are alone, you're thinking, man, that was a good deal. She's awesome. I wish I could date her. I'm missing out on so much. No. Jesus says there is a reward. And you're like, does that mean I'm going to get someone else later? 
<laughs> who's a Christian? Perhaps. But there is a reward for sure in heaven for believers who forsake the worldly pursuits. Same goes with people who are pursuing business deals or education ethically. You will be called to cut corners. You will be called to do some pretty shady stuff. Forsake that. Forsake those lands. Forsake those deals. There will be reward later. In fact, I would say there is reward now. You forsake everything that is worldly, everything that is sinful. There is reward now in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul. Let me quote Apostle Paul here. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is saying he's given it all up. When we get rid of our idols, we gain the best treasure ever in Jesus Christ. We gain him now, and we gain him later face to face. So we're back to where we started. I want to ask you the question one more time. What really rules your heart? Can you totally be honest today? Is it Jesus Christ? If so, praise and exalt him for that wonderful grace in your life. What really rules your heart? If it is something or someone else, this ruling idol in your life, I'm going to ask you, what's got to go? What's got to go? What idol needs to be repented of, turned away from, and follow Jesus by his grace? What has got to go? And I'm just going to ask you, please do not play games. But you can walk away from here all you want and go enjoy the beautiful day. It is wonderful. But I'm really hoping that God will pursue you and convict you all day today because he has greater joy in store for you than the joy you're finding in, in worldly idols. So I'm just, I'm just praying that God will just pursue you all day today until you get to a point. You can go to the lake, sit on the beautiful, look at the water in the sun and say, God, I repent of all these idols. It's got to go. Give me grace to follow you. I know it's impossible, but I'm crying out to you for grace. I would love to see a church today of urgent and desperate people who are urgent to follow Jesus, desperate to follow Jesus, desperate to see the urgency of their idolatry, and they want to go all out and following Christ. And that can only happen by God's grace and his movement in your heart. So let's take some time right now to pray and ask God to do a work on our hearts, to turn us from our idols and turn us to him. Let's pray. Right now, in the, in the quietness of your heart, as you're sitting there and no one else knows your thoughts, no one else knows really what's going on, what is God convicting you right now to give up because it is, in, it is in your way of your relationship with Jesus. What is that one thing?
Lord, I ask you right now to hear your people. And may we call out to you right now for mercy, for forgiveness, for power to change. Lord, may you dispossess these ruling idols. Change our hearts. We can't do it. We've been stuck. There's some women in here who have been stuck for so long. There are some men in here who have been stuck. They just cannot seem to get traction or movement. Lord, give them your grace now. Show them the direction they need to go. Show them what they need to do and maybe giving away their wealth, cutting off immorality, or stop pursuing the comforts of the world, put their family in the right place in, in, in relation to you, put their, 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 their goods in the right place in relation to you, put their work in the right place in relation to you. Show them what they, they need to do. Show them who they need to talk to to get help even further. Show them what brothers and sisters can encourage them and hold them accountable. Lord, we want to be desperate people who cry out to you right now for this great exchange, to exchange these pointless, worthless idols, to be broken and repentant people who cry out, we want you, we want you, Jesus, the true treasure. We want our salvation and life to be in you and you alone. Lord, pull off this great exchange of the ruling master of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.